there this show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress the language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business dude man what's going on flew in from across the room and boy are my arms tired yeah <laughs> take my wife please but <laughs> boom what's going on nothing it's uh can i answer that can you get a chance to answer oh okay you I asked th- me I, oh, what's going I, on. oh i thought you asked can i question. answer that oh i thought you were going why don't what's you step going? off I, why, get out my grill i thought you were saying what's going on nothing I thought step you were off step off i thought you were just answering for me sorry okay no i'll, I'll do that later Nothing's going on. No. See? I answered for you. Okay. Uh, let's see. I know I had something to talk about. I just don't remember what it was. You know, it's I, summer. We, we should think about those things, actually. Someday we should put some thought into these shows. Nah. You know, if we put thought into the shows, we'd sound stilted and dry and dull and boring. Jilted and wilted. And, and we'd be talking about, like, taxes and stuff. <laughs> Gas prices. Speaking of taxes, uh, I think I got my $600 little... Uh, little uh treat from uh, uncle george i got my yeah uncle, you mean king george yeah i got my uh stimulator check in the mail <laughs> was it stimulating and i got the stimulus check too yeah that's cool yeah it was a it was a nice one you know my kids are good for something i guess yeah yeah they each they each uh, netted me what 300 bucks i think it was you got an extra nine bills because of them i got an extra nine bills well yeah. i guess you can't complain then well i can complain about anything i want to complain about you can't stop me from complaining no, you're probably right. That's my thing. It's my shtick. Yeah. So I, I know there was something I wanted to talk about, but now I don't remember what it is. You got a tattoo on on the on your lower back? Negative. Negative. No tattoo. You didn't get one of those tramp stamps on your back. <laughs> one of the girls I work with have those, though. I can't stand those. One of the girls I work with, uh, who's about our age, went out with her daughter, and they each got one uh, sometime last year. The uh, the field goal is some men refer to it. You know, you do they, the math. They have one purpose: is to make you look at someone's ass. That's what they're there for. What's the? the I don't know. Whatever. If they're covered in clothes, no one knows. Yeah, but they're not because they wear like the the tight shirts, so that then when they're leaning and stretching and everything, the tramp stamp pops out. What about when they're doing Pilates? And when they're doing Pilates, when when they're changing light bulbs, yeah, when they're working yeah. on the car, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So today's actually going to be a different kind of show. Uh, one of our listeners who now lives in Montana, I believe she's living in a ravine in a cave, <laughs> and um, she's uh, just discovered fire, I believe. She's living and, uh, in a cave uh, in the uh, hills of Afghanistan? No, she's in a ravine in Montana. She's gulching, and I don't know if they have the uh, kerosene-powered internet there yet or not, but she always liked it when both of us saw the film. Oh, yeah. And uh, we could both talk about it. And this is the first film we both saw that we've talked about in, I don't know, a year? No. No. Probably 11 and a half months. Probably, maybe longer. 
So she's she's gone to Montana. Is she going to be a dental floss tycoon? That uh, I think she is. Yeah, I think it's a, a requisite uh, program. Yeah, you enter the in, state, and you, if you're in Montana, you're you're a dental floss tycoon. They give you the forms when you're at the Welcome Center. That's right. And for everyone who doesn't get that, and that's probably everyone, that's a Frank Zappa song. They don't need to know. This isn't about them. She brought her zircon encrusted tweezers, and uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I know. Well, I know. I had something else for the intro. Actually, I do have something else for you're the stumped. intro. No, it has nothing to do with stumps. But you know, I went um, many months, many months without being able to look at the 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 rings, the the symbols of weddingdom, which I had purchased for my failed marriage. <laughs> the rings of doom. Yeah, and they were engraved, but I had them in a closet. I didn't want to look at them. And you know what? Like a week ago, I said, you know what? I can look at them, and I'm going to take them out and have the engraving removed. Now, my ring, which I'm wearing, John says it screams wedding band, and I'm... How, That's I'm, because it's uh, got a neon sign on it I'm, saying wedding wait band. Wait a minute. I'm going to put it up to the mic. Hang on. Wedding band. <laughs> so that was John, actually. That wasn't actually the, the ring, <laughs> but it, it was... If you notice, it came out of the left or the right side of the the headphones, which is John's side, not the left side. Because I had it's my a ventriloquist mic. ring. I had my mic right. Yeah, it was throwing his voice like that guy on um, America Has Talent. Did you see that, that guy? Was, yeah. That guy's really talented. Singing. So anyway, I mine was special. My ring was titanium and platinum, and I I wasn't sure palladium if any local jewelry stores would be able to deal with the engraving and removal. So I sent it back to the jeweler who actually made it for me. And I'm sure it's not the first time they've had to do something like this. But anyway, yeah, so I'm actually going to sell her ring. So if anybody out there actually wants to buy a size 6 beautiful uh, wedding band white gold with 0.75 carat weight of of diamonds in it, just shoot me an email. And uh, I will be happy to sell it to you. And the funny thing is, and most people Industrial probably... Industrial grade diamonds? I don't know. Most people wouldn't even believe this, but it was never even on her finger. And John believes it because he understands why, but... The only woman who had this ring on her finger was the woman at the jewelry store who owned the jewelry store, who when I said, could you put it on so I see what it looks like on your finger? She did. That was, this ring has been on my finger and her finger, and that's it. And Rich said, how much for the finger? What does that mean? Well, you know, they throw in the finger with the ring. Oh, yeah, well. So anyway, I'm wearing mine. Mine's cool. It's platinum and titanium, and I put it on my right hand, and... John said, you're going to look like somebody who's been in a failed marriage because it's clearly a wedding those, band on Those your are right your hand. words. Those are your words. No. I, I was saying that... I'm paraphrasing, but you were you're saying... Paraphrasing? That, you're totally taking me out of context. I'm paraphrasing. Those were, none of those phrases or intents were ever coming out of my skull or my mouth. <laughs> you're right. They were coming out of your ass. And that's why <laughs> no. I argued with you. No, I just said, if you're, if you're wearing something that does look like a wedding band and on your me, hand... This looks nothing like a wedding band. Anyway, go ahead. On your right hand, on your hand, any hand. That is, this. it's it's not even an argument. It is a wedding band. It looks like a wedding band. The The place that makes it doesn't, it isn't in their wedding band section. I mean, here's the deal. When I bought this ring, I just liked the ring. And I was able to sell it as a wedding band to my would-be wife by saying, yeah, it kind of looks like a wedding band. But the reality is I just liked the ring and I would have worn it no matter what anyway. So now the fact that I've had the engraving removed, kindly... And uh, I'm wearing it. It's just really cool. You what said it, you like the ring. I do. Okay. Shut those up. Are, those then. are two separate things. John, me, shut up. Me saying that it looks like a wedding band and it's me a, liking it are, it's at are this mutually point exclusive. Where a, a, an animated Irish cop would say, shut up, shutting up, ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> you might, rabbit. You might. <laughs> would no. I throw a lighted match if my friend Moxie was in there? You might, rabbit. You might. Well, all I'm saying is what you need on there is a little green lantern so that you can 
hail the Justice League with it or something, and you're all set. <laughs> this thing stops bullets. Actually, it's titanium. Let me it try. would stop bullets. Let me try that. You got a gun? Uh, no, let's go get one. <laughs> we got a listener who's got all kinds of guns. We should get him yeah, involved. No, there are no guns in this house. Actually, There's we a... have two listeners that have all kinds of guns. Now that I think of we it. We should pit them against we each ought other. To, yeah, we ought to get them set up in a crossfire or something, you know? <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> anyway, I know I had something else for the intro, and I honestly don't remember what it was. As John is furiously taking notes, you He's know, like George this, Bush over here taking notes after uh, after three years. After three years, I've learned my lesson. Nearly, nearly three years, which is kind of crazy, isn't it? That we've been doing this for almost. I three think years? I said that last week or something. Yeah, it's just starting to sink in. But after three years, I'm finally learning because normally what we do is we wrap up the recording, and then the next day, when my mind is clear meaning completely clear and I've forgotten everything that we've talked about, I then start doing the show notes. So, well, What about the whiteboard? Yeah, Doesn't that work? The whiteboard is, is sort of like, this is the main skeleton of the show, but it's not the little intricate details and the goofy stuff that we talk about that fill in the meat, uh-huh. so to speak. Well, the bottom line is I'm wearing a <laughs> ring and I love it. So what I'm doing is... I'm as we mentioned something as something comes up randomly I'm just writing a little note to myself so that I can put it in the show notes because I struggle every Sunday morning you could email to write me, those you know. notes you can email me I, and I can help no, you with I don't that. even know your address <laughs> most people don't <laughs> uh, what was the other thing I was going to say um, you know I, you know, a weird thing happened I ordered a new guitar case for my Yamaha my 1983 Yamaha SC400 because the factory case which is cool is falling apart I mean it's 25 years old it's falling apart it was made of cotton and it has an original piece of uh, artwork designed by John on it. And I'm not going to throw it away. I just put it in the back of the closet. But like it's set it on you. fire. It's in the closet with you. So it's not alone anyway. I keep my eye on it. <laughs> yeah, keep your eye on it. And um, so this case came in. And it, well, this case would retail for $119.99. It's made by a company called SKB. Let's just say $120. And it's their generic Stratocaster shape case you know for a double cutaway guitar my yamaha is very unusual shape but they said it would work for any left or right-handed strat style guitar and it does it does work and i was expecting more case though for 120 i paid 58 because i got connections <laughs> but you knew a guy who knew a guy i knew a guy want to buy a case he opened up a big overcoat and there was <laughs> yeah, this gigantic John. case in there he had like 15 cases hanging from one side of his coat he did he was and very large he was very large and um and I got the case, and I was a little disappointed. I was expecting it to be a little more robust. For 120, I would be disappointed. For 65 plus tax and freight, I'm okay with it. But didn't I come did, with a martini mixer. It didn't. And I noticed though that one of the latches was like misremembered. I mean, misaligned rather. Uh. Like if you look, I'm doing a little thing for John. You know, when like if this was the bottom of the case and this mm-hmm. were the top of the case, when they close together, they should kind of line up like this. When the two cases close, they kind of line up like that. They don't align. So I took a little cell phone photo and I emailed it to the company, SKB, and they warranty their cases for life. So basically I told them this case is five hours old and I just noticed. And it's, you know what? It's the one latch that has the key. And they said, but something painted on it. I don't know what to do. No, they. I mean, I sent it to them late last night. I probably won't hear from them till Monday. But again, it's the latch with the key. You know, the thing doesn't go all the mm-hmm. way, the, the tab doesn't go all the way into the slot, as they say. Wink, wink. Slot um, A, yeah. tab so B. I think I need a new case. I'm just going to say, send me a case and send me a call tag, and I'll send you this one back. I mean, the case is cool, but the latches don't align. you got to you know, cut the artwork off of it. This Eastern-made crap is, is very disappointing. Eastern-made? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's made in China or something. Anyway, you want to play a tune? It's probably got lead in it. <laughs> yeah, here, here's a, an interesting one. Is it? It's quite. All right, let's check it out. 
track very very aggressive a lot of cool stuff going on there a lot of textures a lot of uh a lot of polyrhythms clap your hands everybody that was uh we played them once before 
a band called Hectic Watermelon, and they're out of uh, the West Coast. I, I actually don't remember what city, but that track was called The Third Derivative of James Brown. <laughs> Which I think that if, yeah, if you do the math, it, it sounds exactly like that. Hit me one time! Hey! Hit me two times! <laughs> hit me hit with me the derivative! The, hit me the third time, yeah. Nice. Good track. So, you know what? We didn't talk about the wine. The vin? The vin? We're drinking a Sebastiani Cab, one of my favorites, always the Sebastiani, and this is an 05. So far, we've had the 02, 03, 04, and now we've had the O, the aught 05. I want the 09. And this is good. I think I like this better than the 04, but not quite as good as the 02. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Snobbery. <laughs> Snobbery. I'm just, I'm just rating them. It's, it's good. You're, Some things are better than others. You know, why do we have to live in this country where all things uh, have equal weight? They don't. That's just nonsense. Holy crap. <laughs> I agree. Well, we were talking about it at the, at, at the last salon. We were talking about this idea that everybody's opinion carries the same weight. And, I mean, I used to get in this discussion on the bulletin boards. I respect your right to your opinion, exactly. but it doesn't mean your opinion's not nonsense. I mean, you can certainly voice it. You can write it down. You can put it in a paper. You can publish your own damn website or newspaper and fly over uh, Manhattan and throw leaflets out of airplanes as long as it's legal. But it doesn't mean your opinion doesn't suck. Yeah, and I had this discussion with my daughter the other day where she she said something. I can't even remember what we were talking about. She said something, and I said, well, you know, that's not true. And she said, well, that's your opinion. I said, no, there are such things as facts and non-facts. You might hold an opinion. You might believe that something is true or not, but it doesn't change it from being true or not. I absolutely yeah. support the Ku Klux Klan, for example, and not I don't support the Klan. I support their their the right, right to, exist. to exist and their right to publish and their right to have a website and their right, uh, you know, this side of violence. I support their rights to say and do what they want, you know. But their beliefs are immoral. But their beliefs are stupid and they're idiots. So. That. I remember years the ago. The clothes I, are cool, though. Yeah, they got that whole hood thing going on. <laughs> I remember years ago, I saw one of the Arthur C. Clarke or something on television, like the Mike Douglas show. The and, late Arthur C. Clarke. Yes, the late Arthur C. and maybe even the late uh, Mike Douglas as well. I don't know. Is he dead? I, he or might Canadian. be. You know, oh, I just wanted to do a shout out to all of the, um, oh, well, God, what's that guy's name? I can't remember it now. He's a famous country singer, and he just died like Friday. Make the world go away. Eddie Arnold. Eddie Arnold died. So I that's, know it's that a is. very sad day. The only reason I know who Eddie Arnold is is because when I was a youngster, my dad had a 72 Chrysler, and in it he had an 8-track player, and he would endlessly play the Eddie Arnold 8-track. Because it was stuck in the player. It wouldn't come out. It might have been. He liked it, though, so he was okay with that. You know what I had an 8-track? Um, Genesis. No. The Edgar Winter Group. I remember uh, somebody gave me... Uh, uh, an eight-track component player that you hook up to your CD to one of the inputs on your your uh, your amplifier. Mm -hmm. It was a separate component, and just as a joke, I threw a party. You were probably there at the house twenty years ago or something, <laughs> and we were only playing eight tracks. Except the funny thing is, my friend Matt had like Genesis and Crimson <laughs> and all of this really cool music on eight track. So we were listening to the stuff we might normally listen to. It's just right. that the, the format was different. And there's a grinding chunk noise before it starts playing. Yeah, ka-chunk. Or they'll switch tracks occasionally yeah. mid-song, which is really weird. You know, when they run out of room on one track, they have to switch to the next track. Yep. Yep. Good anyway, stuff. Anyway, uh, I don't know what I was talking about before I talked hey, about film. Eddie Arnold. But yeah, uh, we both saw this film, Juno, 
which yep. I, was a pretty good big film for 07. I think it, it was up for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture. I, I think I it only won screenplay, though. I don't believe it won Best Picture. No, it didn't. What did win Best in uh, 07? Little film. Which one was it? Uh, just remind me. Uh, wasn't it the Scorsese film? Which? Or no, that was the, the year before. Tell me what film won, and uh, we was, can move when did, on. When did the When did The Departed win? That was that last be, year? No, or was it the year before? It had to be the year before. But what What won Best Picture this year? My mind is a blank. Yeah, I cannot I believe know. that. Well, I'll look it up. Well, we'll figure it out. But you anyway, Juno, Juno. I saw it on. Um, I saw, I actually saw and rented a legal copy. <laughs> so did I. Oh, okay. I thought you watched it on your phone. No, what I did is I I rented it from Netflix, and then I ripped it so that i could watch it on my my ipod iphone so when Your i was hand flying device. yeah i'm sure they'd have an issue with that though i think that's fair use i watched it once and i returned it and you deleted it from your your uh i plan on deleting it RAM. i plan on deleting, <laughs> you it, plan on deleting it any any day now yes juno so what's this film about a small town in alaska yeah, actually, I was out with somebody uh, Thursday night who I said, talked about how the film Juno was really cool, and they went on and on about uh, Juno, which uses diesel generators for to generate electric power, and how at five dollars a gallon, the city's you know having troubles with their uh, energy production bills. Well, you know, we all have that trouble with energy right now. So Juno, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. It has it's nothing about, to do with Alaska. It's about an adolescent girl, like a sixteen-year-old girl yep. who. Uh, who has sex with her boyfriend, the bleak, the bleaker, the oblique, <laughs> bleaker the street. oblique, the oblique, and gets knocked up. It's not yeah. clear whether or not they used any protection. I don't know. That that was sort of uh, left to the imagination, as it were. And uh, the movie is kind of it's about, irrelevant. Um, it happened, right? But I'd be curious to know whether they were being smart or whether they're being stupid. I mean, that's you know, I would like to know. I think that's a, an irrelevant plot point. Well, it may be to the film, but I'm just curious, you know, in this day and age where we preach, um, I don't go investigate, you know, the the whole warp drive technology. We just accept the fact that it exists and then we let let the the stuff flow from there. But this, this, this could be real. Star Trek could not be real. It could this not could be, be real. This happens because every it was, day. It was a story that was written down on this paper. This happens every day in middle America. I just want to know if the kids were being smart or they stupid. So why don't you talk about the film? Put your wine glass down and talk about the film. I, I enjoyed this film immensely, even if it was on a little tiny screen on a plane. I thought it was great. I mean, it was like really, really good. And something I mentioned to you before is one of the reasons why I liked it was because every single character in this was fairly complex no one was glossed over. Everyone was smart. And they treated everyone with respect, even if, you know, some people were goofy. Some people were a little bit more straightforward. Everyone got a, a, a chance to to have really redeeming qualities. And one of the people that stands out to me is the stepmother. The stepmother could have been, I mean, it could have been written, you know, for, you know, the a typical film the, like this. The girl, Juno. The girl, Juno. Juno is named after a girl. <laughs> and yes. yeah, she has a stepmom. Yeah, Juno's stepmom. Juno, oh God, her name was really weird too. <laughs> oh yeah. Juno, yeah. I forgot. McDuff or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Mc, Even weirder than yeah. that though. McGuff. 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 Because when she went into the convenience store at the beginning of the movie, the guy says, oh, McGuff the crime dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyways, the, the stepmom, she could have been, you know, the typical, prototypical stepmom in films, you know. Curled nose, wart on her nose. Not that kind of stepmom. The kind who's, you know, always trying to meddle in the stepdaughter's life, trying to, you know, 
be the replacement mom. That Actually, kind of she kind of kept her distance when Juno kind of like put up the, the boundaries and, and the stepmom kept her difference. Well, to, to uh, expound on what John was saying, and this is something I said to him, uh, all the characters, okay, Juno, very smart kid, right? You know, uh, apparently not super smart, depending on whether or not they had condoms or not. But since we don't know the answer to that, we can't say that. But anyway, wise beyond your years in some ways, a very intelligent kid. And in so often in films or TV shows where we have the super smart kids, we often have dumb adults. You know, yeah. they're, they're they're played off dumb adults. But everybody in this film was smart. Yep. Everybody in this film was 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 um uh. I, I don't know whatever words you were using. You know, every, every all the characters were real. They were believable. They were complex, multi yeah. multifaceted. They weren't just the the typical stepmom does mean thing kind of. You know, it, there were times when the stepmom was trying to be overbearing, but as a typical mom would do. And then there were times when the stepmom was being protective. Mm-hmm. When yeah. when and it was great because you see that she's a human being. She's got her you know ridiculous flaws of cutting out dog pictures all the time. But she was also a, a kind, caring person. And, you know, I just thought it was really great the way that the, the writing was put together. And it, I think it deserved the, the Academy Award. That's what it got yeah, the Academy this, Award for. This was just a brilliantly executed script. The dialogue was great. And the, the girl just said things that, I mean, I'd love to meet people who actually talked like this. She was, again, probably a little smarter or wiser beyond her years. And that's because her lines were written for her. Yeah, but that's not to say that the that the writing was realistic. We have to It was a little over here. the top, yeah. Everyone was intelligent was and very extroverted and a and bit of a said, caricature. Yeah, they said the things that they that people usually think but, but never really say. say. Yeah. So I I think in that sense it, it wasn't realistic, but it was great because, you know, we got to see what would happen or what one of the possibilities could be if people actually put their emotions on their sleeve and let things roll. So that's that's why I really loved it. Yeah, I loved it to death. To this death? this film and In Bruges are the the two better films I've seen in a long time. Is that anything like the In Bruges film? Yeah, it's it's spelled like that anyway. Okay, yeah. and you probably didn't have a chance to pirate the uh, uh, bonus tracks onto your uh, no, I didn't. your portable viewing device. I didn't pirate anything onto your tricorder. <laughs> I compressed <laughs> it into my tricorder so I can watch it on a plane. But you know they left a lot of stuff out of the film, and you know that's of course director's choice or editor's choice. Usually, you know the director makes that choice now there was a time though when editors got to choose what the cut looked like like in the 50s how weird is that the i think director, they were union so they had to it was weird though the director couldn't even say what the film was going to look like the, the editor got the choice of the cut you know well it was a totally different system it used to be where the studio hired the director he wasn't like an auteur yeah the directors a, are like you know they're they're celebrities now and, and they can yeah. do what they want they're like superheroes. yeah and the editor was a union guy or girl working for the studio so the editor was beholden to the studio not to the film or to the director right yep um i don't know i talked about uh, <laughs> there was a scene in the uh, in the bonus tracks which did not make it in the movie that just made me laugh and uh, I don't know. It's it's a little it's a little inappropriate, but there's a moment in the film where Juno, the girl, um, takes some thrown out furniture off of a person's lawn because she's going to use them for something. And in the film, they just kind of cut to her saying, "That's the coolest furniture living room set I've ever seen." And then suddenly, it's on somebody else's lawn, and she's sitting in it. And you know, but in the in the in the uh, deleted scenes, the actual mechanics of how that happened is in there they show her loading it into the van and as she's taking it off the woman's lawn who she had permission to take it from 
the old the lady previa. yeah the, the previa the old lady comes out and it's like an evening and the old lady says something like look at the wonderful sunset jesus painted for us today and juno says yeah jesus likes orange <laughs> and then the old woman says jesus likes all colors except the mexicans <laughs> i was like wow that's hardcore. Yeah, they they probably didn't want to put that in the film. Not just not because they didn't want to offend anyone, because there are some things in the film that would offend certain groups of people. But I think they put didn't put that in the film because it probably would have been distracting from the the main plot. Yeah, I think so. And now, who else was in this film? What, um, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. Juno gets pregnant, of course, and she chooses to have the child. And, um, you know, if there's anybody who wants to see this film and not have it spoiled a little bit, you know, fast forward now. So Juno chooses to have the child. She actually makes the trip to the abortion clinic, which is an amusing little scene in itself. Mm -hmm. And she runs screaming from the abortion clinic and chooses to have the child and give it up for adoption. So she and her friend Leah. I think that was her name. I think that was her name. Um, they start searching the newspaper or something for adoptive parents. Right. And the people that she ends up choosing happen to be Jennifer Garner mm-hmm. and Jason Bateman. And uh, that's sort of an, 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 a whole interesting subplot in itself. Yeah, they're you know, a yuppie what, couple. Super yuppie couple. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he has unresolved issues with certain things. And she's kind of a needy woman who really wants to have a child and is, can't have one. And all sorts of interesting uh, plot lines develop because of that. And then introducing Juno into their lives or into his life, as it were. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I, yeah, there's no way to... to slice it any different way I mean, there, there's it was a really good film and and it's the, the in this film the devil is definitely in, in the details you have to watch it you have to hear that dialogue every moment very crisp every moment Great is stuff. kind of important it's not like you can say uh like another film we were talking about guy goes into a cave grabs a uh, a golden thing a giant ball comes rolling after him and then you know the adventures ensue no this this is one of those films where you can't describe it that way because saying stop talking about star wars like that (laughs) saying that you know 16 year old girl gets pregnant decides to have the baby and uh hilarity ensues is not gonna cut it the 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 thing i love though was the reaction that her father had he didn't overreact you know and wouldn't it be cool if in a real world we all had parents where they didn't overreact to things like this you know well the parents both of them were were very very cool they They, were cool and there was some really there was a moment after juno uh confessed to them that she was pregnant where uh juno's out of the room and the two parents are talking about it and they're like did you see this coming and they were like yeah i was just kind of hoping she would tell me she was into hard drugs you know and they were like all of these awful worst case scenarios they would have preferred to the pregnancy thing you know yeah they they both admitted to themselves even after they were you know playing it really cool and being accepting and supportive that they were scared to death as well which is to me one of those things that shows the complexity of them they weren't the overbearing parents and they also weren't the super cool parents you know see see, the father was pretty damn cool he was cool but what i'm what i'm saying they weren't the super cool parents they weren't like oh yeah it's cool that you're having a baby and everything's just fine and that was all you heard about it you saw that he was scared and disappointed and upset he just didn't take it out on her right he didn't really do it in front of her but he also didn't um he didn't hit her with anger which is the right. the typical response that's not going to change the situation right all yelling and screaming isn't going to change anything and you know i mean that was actually another part of the, the movie as well the, the sheer number of pregnancy tests she took you know <laughs> she kept drinking gallons of sunny d to be able to generate enough pee. sunny d yeah to be able to generate enough urine to pee on the pregnancy stick you know 
Oh man, yeah, Good and, stuff. and the lines are great. You know, you're gonna pay for that pea stick yeah. kind of stuff. Well, there's just so many, so many just great pieces of dialogue throughout the film. Just, just brilliant writing, and I thought the cast was great. I was, I loved seeing Jason Bateman again, who we used to see on that TV show that you reminded me of the name of. Um, it's your move. It's your move, which was one of those shows where you had the really smart kid and the sort of less intelligent adults that the kid was always getting the best of and Mm -hmm. unlike that this film was not like that at all everyone was smart and uh likable um i there there were moments where i didn't like the stepmom and there were moments when i did but i uh, i liked everybody else uh everybody else (laughs) you gonna get your two front teeth this year yes i am (laughs) okay (laughs) everybody else i liked very much you know what's funny because i uh no john tell me what's funny when i was taking my trip which i never talked about because it's work related when i was going to take my trip the reason why I, I uh, fairly used you the used Juno to think copy. Rip Taylor was funny, didn't you? The prop comedian. No, I didn't. When I took the trip, I I got it several films. Buddy Hackett, you used to just hated him. <laughs> so uh, one of the films that I also got was Rendition. Mm. Have you heard of this one? I have not seen that. Uh, you should see it. We'll talk about it. But the funny thing is, the the dad was in Rendition as well. Oh, the the father in Juno was yeah, in Rendition. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did not play a guy like the father character in Rendition at all. He or in uh, Juno at all. He uh, he was, uh, I think, a military kind of guy. Yeah, I could see him playing that part too. But at the end of the day, um, I love the relationship she had with her parents, which is very much unlike the relationship I've had with my parents. So I'm sort of envious of that relationship. Well, I I think that her relationship with her parents was unlike that of anyone on the planet. No, the Cosbys. <laughs> They had a relationship like that. That dad did Leave not it to wear Beaver. the sweaters like Cosby. Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> the Beave. Dennis the Menace. Come on, they all had relationships like that. The Bradys. Come on, man. Yeah, but Greg got stoned in the Gilligan garage. Gilligan and Ginger. Oh, that's something else entirely different. <laughs> there was a parental thing going on there. <laughs> there may have been. So I'm giving it all kinds of thumbs. I uh, love that film to death. I give it the big toe. So we like can Sergeant Hulka. play another track. <laughs> Sergeant Hulka. Yep, I'm playing music. All right, goodbye.
there you go. That was pretty cool, man. That was a pretty cool track. It jammed. That was called Behaving in the Moment by Modus, which is a band made up of uh, some friends of mine. A oh, previous... I was reading that backwards. I thought it was Sudam. Uh, yeah, and a uh, previous incarnation of that band we've played before, too, with uh, a couple of different players, but uh, the main singer and uh, songwriter, Jeff uh, Red Herring, we've played them in the past. Yes. Very strong stuff. The guy's got a, the talent, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep, good stuff. I'm not going to talk about this film for too long because it's kind of a boring documentary. It's actually not that boring. It's a film called Taxi to the Dark Side, and it's a documentary looking at the um, the the sort of the U.S. policy regarding uh, detainees and prisoners in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. You know, Abu Ghraib and Bagram, well, those things. Well, right you know with the what? mistreatment of the prisoners, prisoners. Rendition. That's prison. all it was about. Was it a uh, documentary? or Was it a narrative? It was a film narrative, uh, but I think that it's it was an important film, and people should see it. Well, I think this film and another film I'll mention very briefly, which I had seen, which I don't know if I talked about on the show. This film is it was direct inspired by the the killing um, or the the mysterious death. I'll call it a killing, though, perhaps even a murder of an Afghani who was detained by the U.S. military, and his name was Dilawar. That's all they know is this guy's name was Dilawar. And apparently it was U.S. policy in these prisons to not, like, openly, like, beat the guys with clubs, but they would kick them in the legs and kick them in the torso and kick them to the point where, you know, they suffered so much blunt trauma that they Mm -hmm. died from internal injuries. And this film kind of explores the U.S. policy... In the U.S. denial, and and then ultimately these trials where they found some scapegoats, and you know they put some sergeants and some corporals on trial when really this was a policy from up above, sure. you know, and um, just just absolutely horrific that you know this what there was a famous quote once that you could tell you could tell a lot about a country by the quality of its prison systems, mm-hmm. right? And how they treat prisoners. And if this is the way the US is treating prisoners, we are just a, a, an awful country. I mean, we something to be really 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 ashamed of. I think there's an old quote that basically it's the same thing. You can tell a lot about the uh, country by how it treats the least of its citizens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this film reminded me very much of a film called Road to Guantanamo, which was about a couple of British... Harold and Kumar? Something like that. It was about a, a, a couple of British uh, subjects who happened to be Pakistani-born who were vacationing in Pakistan. And when this whole U.S. invading you know, Afghanistan and all that happened, they may have been in Afghanistan at the time, just kind of across the border to mm-hmm. see what's going on over there as tourists do sure and suddenly these guys found themselves imprisoned in guantanamo and it took a year and a half or two years for them to get out and the the reason i'm even bringing that up is because the films are very similar but each of the uh, many of the people uh that were interviewed in taxi to the dark side including these pakistani guys from the road to guantanamo were they were you know these films crossed in other words they they crossed interviewees and and topics Mm -hmm. uh you know at various points but i mean you know certainly not uh, a a summer blockbuster but but either this film, Taxi to the Dark Side, I mean, you can live in denial and imagine that you can put a flag on your car and say, we're number one and just pretend. Right. Or we'll that, put a boot up your ass. Yeah. Pretend that what we're doing is great and we only do things for benevolent reasons. Or you can actually open your eyes, get into a little dissent and, and watch films like this that show uh, you know, kind of what's going on over there, you know. But I think most people will choose to live in denial, unfortunately, right? 
Well, and and that's what's you know coincidentally uh, interesting about the, the the movie rendition is that it's the same thing, and even though it was a narrative, it, you're watching this film thinking, "Wow, this is a fantastic." ordinary or extraordinary circumstance where uh, a guy who's an American citizen who was born in Egypt has a wife and children in the United States and he's flying back from a business trip and the U.S. government basically just yanks him off the plane, sends him to a torture camp outside of uh, the United States. Any place where U.S. law actually Yeah, you're thinking, oh, geez, you know, these are are rogue people in the government. No, this is actually American policy. Exactly, yeah. It's called extraordinary rendition. They they can take anyone for any reason that they believe that it might be a national security risk. (laughs) You know, and it was just because this guy had random phone calls on his cell phone by someone who may have been associated with terrorists. And he was tortured. Which is so vague. Right. right. And he was tortured and beaten. And the government was actually going to kill him until uh, an agent, uh, an agent working over in Egypt, decided, I got to get this guy out of here. This is wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, and it takes that guy. It takes that guy to stand up and say this is wrong. And it takes... You know, it takes citizens to stand up and march and say, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, we've we've lost the the will to do that because most people are concerned about where their next meal is coming from. Right. God forbid they want to stand up and, you know, ex- express some dissent or, 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 or an alternative opinion because, you know, they might lose their job. I mean, sure. the economic circumstances are such that it's ideal for a, a mm, less than... Um, ideal government to to exercise these kinds of things you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but anyway I, i'm done i got nothing else you know what i've got uh herpes <laughs> john is just shaking his head no what do you have i've got a little spinning disc here gonna oh hey oh hey little technical difficulty there what what <laughs> I, cl- I clicked on the thing and with it didn't the thing do with, with the, the stuff thing? yeah and it took a longer than I expected the thing to do with the stuff. That's because it's over the network, and your network is slow. <laughs> anyway, this is Rich Wilgus. And he certainly is, and I'm John Tellerico. You've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians right here on 950 AM. I mean, the VIB or something. Right here on 950 WBAB. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Hit the forum, bloodyvegetarianscom slash forum, the you can, soon-to-be-defunct forum. You can send us feedback to uh, feedback at bloodyveg.com and um, keep the robots from harassing our forum. You know, the robots are coming. Yeah, I, I've blocked all the IPs. And remember, you're listening to the VIB. 